All right. Beautiful. Hello, amigo. Eagle Gardens. Eagle Gardens one on Instagram. And this is fucking talking shit with Eagle episode six, six, six hundred and sixty two. Uh, I got a great guest for you this evening. Uh, Mr. Alex six, six or six twenty two. Between the two, I got tongue-tied there. That's so similar. Uh, Sorry, my friend. This is episode 662, and this is Alec. 622. Oh, twice I know. I'm sorry, my friend. I got that name when I I went to work for High Times as the, the, uh, you know, that was like my call on the radio. But Hey, well, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, good to be here, you know. Hopefully, uh, we can talk about something exciting. Basically, you know, my... uh, I'm a rainbow hippie, you know, and um, one year uh, this guy named Steve Hager came to the rainbow gathering to interview people. He interviewed me in my teepee and uh, a baby was being born. Another guy's head had to be sewn up. It was really quite a little adventure there. And uh, so Steve Hager was impressed enough that he sent me an anonymous invitation to come to the sixth cannabis cup. Now that's, that's like 1994. So that's a long time ago. So I didn't know how I was going to do it. So I made all this hemp seed salve uh, out of real hemp seed oil that we got from a source in Bulgaria. Couldn't get it in the United States back then. DEA was spreading rumors about it being illegal, you know, because it had THC in it. But that was all, that was all just yellow journalism, yellow acts, you know. So uh, so I premiered on the, on the Cannabis Cup scene with the, 10,000 ounces of hemp seed oil sale. I was like one of the first producers of it. And now there's a lot of people uh, are making that product now. Even now they can put THC if we could only done that back then. So um, I uh, went to work for High Times. I was like the czar security. I was like the photographer for uh, a lot of centerfolds for many years. I was there for 20 years. until Steve Hager retired and the movie ended and everything got legal here in, in Colorado. And, uh, and got, nobody wants to travel to Europe anymore. But back in the day, it was the day. And, um, so we, used to fly, we used to fly from, uh, I hope you find this interesting, but we used to fly from, uh, to, from the magazine and fly over into Iceland and then fly into, as a crew, all the, all the high times people that was, and later on, we just traveled there from there at different locales. But uh, it was quite like the Gigi goes to Hollywood, kind of like a, a real, you know, um, a stoner movie that, that should have been shot at that time. Steve Hager brought along two, uh, a set of twins, and they were in film production. One was, and that's how they made the, one of the first uh, Cannabis Cup history, one and two. But, you know, um, been... Basically, what happened was they, uh, <clears throat> all the seed companies took off. That's what made, you know, seed companies had to have somewhere where they could sell their seeds and their products. And so Holland was the place. I mean, <clears throat> there was a club they used to have there. It was called the Milk Lake, and it still is there. And that was the first uh, coffee shop that they had in Amsterdam. And it, it was right across the street from the police station. So the police would come over there and give it. Bus guys with the with the weed come over there and give it to the people at the at the milk fag, and then uh, 
then they'd get into the show for free, you know, or whatever the, co- you know, they had a very symbiotic relationship there. So that was, but it was an old uh, dairy, but uh, the Cannabis Cup was held there many, many times for all the years there. It was like award ceremonies and things. Sometimes it was really big acts. You know, um, I guess uh, I won a Cannabis Cup too for product of the year. So that was kind of, you know, not many, I thought I'd win it for my hemp seed salve, but it was really a, um, a microscope and it revolutionized the inspecting weed and the quality of weed that could be inspected in the field because you know there's some guys like i would say in the uk that take take soda just clear soda like seven up with no carbonation in it and put glass in it and then spray down the weed and then they get extra bulk and extra weight on that there's a lot of tricks in the in the way that amsterdam was you know, in the business of, well, that business, you know, you know, a gray business to a white business, because if, you know, you grow the weed, that's black market, you, you bring it to the coffee shop, and up until the moment that it reaches the back door, as they say, it's black market, and then, then once it hits, then they can tax it, and that's why it was tolerated at the time, you know, it's all about the tax money and stuff. The Dutch, you know, they're very tolerant people, but they still thought that smoking weed was kind of like, eh, they like their um, tobacco and and, uh, and beer and cocaine, you know. Not sweeping generalization, I just know a lot of Dutch people after living there. I really miss Holland, but, um, and, uh, you know, uh, after 20 cups or 21 cups, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, stories, you know, like, like one time uh, 60 Minutes came across with us. I mean, coming across, when they flew over with us and then they shot a whole little feature around there with Maury Schaefer. He, he showed up the last day to do the, the voiceovers and and uh, there was this guy, he still is a guy, do you know Mark Emery? I mean, um, uh, no, but uh, Todd McCormick. Yeah, I've heard the yeah. name. Oh, okay, well, he, he, he was challenging the federal law that if you have a doctor in a foreign country prescribe something that's readily prescribed in, your, in the native country that you're in, you can bring across six months worth of weed. So that's why 60 Minutes was there, and they came across the border there. They showed them that law, they showed them the prescription, they showed them the dope, and they let them through. Yeah, this, yeah, internationally coming across like that. But you know, this was like, what, 1996 or seven, something like that, 98. So, you know, it was a big uh, event back in those days that, uh, you know, uh, became such a big event that the police department built a, a, a police department, a, a station house right next door to where the couples have it all the time. But there wasn't really any not a lot of violence. I can only remember a couple times anybody just got ugly. Uh, but, you know, it was just such a gift for people to be there. Totally gift. Everybody's on their best behavior. It was like yeah, a real circus kind of atmosphere. Because so before so many- we get in too deep, I guess, to some of the great, great, great stories here. 
we, we usually start this off uh, right from the beginning. We kind of jumped ahead of, I'm guessing, probably about 20-some years. <laughs> but uh, when was the first time you when when was the first time you smoked or came across the plant? When was the first time you used cannabis? When did cannabis come into your life? You got to walk us up two high times. You kind of jumped in with both feet. <laughs> I'm sure you were using the plant before high times now. Well, uh, I was a track star back in high school in the 70s. I ran for the Muhammad Ali track team because I was I was the third fastest high school kid in America. And uh, so I ran for him, well, that team, and then and the Denver Powell. But uh, uh, so I got out of high school. The day we got out of high school, the uh, Associated Press and the United Press, they were here in Denver to shoot the US Open, the golf open. And so this is basically the way I got into photography. So they assigned us kids, you know, as runners, because they have us run the shots back and forth between the developing trailer and the and the photographer. So uh, the guy took me out on the fifth hole, which you know even in disc golf, the fifth hole is is like where uh, people get high on it. Oops! Oh. All you guys out there, sorry, I, I, I'm on the wrong hole. It's just, the, but anyway. So uh, and that's so he told me how to shoot the camera. You know, you put the head and the feet in it. You don't click on the backswing. He said, no, go over there and shoot Arnold Palmer. And I went, what? <laughs> so that was, uh, here I am stoned out of my mind. And he sends me over to shoot Arnold Palmer because Andy Beams, anyway, little details there. But that, that the next day, he doesn't come to work. And they said, kid, do you know how to shoot? And I said, sure. And that was my very first job ever, ever first time I ever got high. Was I shot as a photographer for Associated Press. It's 1978. Uh, uh, cut, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. The, 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 anyway, the what's uh, what is it? The it's the cup. It's the uh, golf cup. I forget what it is. Anyway, I wasn't into it. I'm not much golfer either. But. Yeah. So, so it sounded like uh, you were it, it put into fate right off the beginning to be a, a cannabis photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't so smart, though. It took me, like, a while to do that, you know, to figure it out. I went to college, and, and you know, being a cannabis photographer wasn't even it. You know, who would have ever thought? I mean, so. But anyway, so I became a sports photographer and, and did my internship at the Rocky Mountain News and uh, so I had a really good time. Photography has brought me a lot of good, a lot of good gigs, you know. Or, <clears throat> so I'm a white mountain independent down in Arizona. It's really like Colorado without all the people. Excuse me, I'm going to smoke one. Oh, please do. Please do. So the night nice Tiger Breeze. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're, you, no, you're the guest. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, well, I'm just uh, trying not to blab, you know. But um, you know, uh, the nice thing about being and then so high times made this uh, 
the Wii Festival, which was the World Hemp Expo and Extravaganza. And that was like an outdoor event. And since, you know, um, I had um, three teepees that I brought to the guy, John Trudell and everybody, all the, the old founders of AIM, the American Indian Movement, uh, and his band, they all stayed in the teepees. But, uh, and that was uh, one of the first uh, met old Ken Kesey. Ken Kesey, you know, he's the guy that wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's also the guy that has the Merry Pranksters with the further bus. And um, he's just really quite the, uh, well, did you ever read the book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? See the movie? No. I see. I seen the movie. I didn't read the book. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway. So he was doing his internship at uh, at uh, well, he was doing a side job working on his master's degree in literature. But because he was big, though, he was a bouncer in the local uh, mental institution, and so they paid him twenty five bucks. This is the sixties. So, so they paid him twenty five bucks and they locked him inside a padded cell. And he would give him psilocybin or LSD or or something like that. You know, a different weekend, a different test uh, he was going through. And some of it slipped out, like a lot of acid slipped out. And so that's what uh, you know, it started. There was a little band called the Warlocks, which were the Grateful Dead later became. And they played the music and Timothy and Leary sat on the floor and pontificated. And you could buy the ticket and it said a little, a little dark black spot on the ticket and it says lick me. And that, that was your trip. So that was when acid was legal. Um, that's, um, I, I can imagine that today, you go to a show and lick the corner of your ticket. And all of a sudden, man, I, I don't know. People are so uptight anymore. I think they need to express their mind a little bit, expand their mind, I don't know. So, well. I, I do you too, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, mushrooms are being kind of brought back and pushed to the front, forefront. You know, I, I do and have taken uh, acid on quite a few occasions, but uh, <laughs> unless it was kind of kind of coming from a credible source, you know what I mean? I, I'm still a little leery. <laughs> but mushrooms, I'm good with mushrooms. I'm good with mushrooms. Natural. The natural yeah. way of tripping there. Yeah. Well, isn't there more uh, toxins in mushrooms than, than say, uh, 100 micrograms of something else? You may be right there. You may be right. I mean, isn't that how they used to get like flying reindeer? They would like feed the mushrooms, the Amanita muscaria to the, to the, to the reindeer. And then they'd drain off their urine and that's where they drink that. And that's where the, the, the uh, myth comes or the myth comes from the flying uh, reindeer. Seriously. <laughs> and they use you know, the kidneys of the reindeer to like filter out the deal. Sorry, <laughs> but it's true. They were real big. I've history. never heard that. Yeah, it's, it's Google it. You can check it out for sure. Flying reindeer. That's why they call them flying reindeer. But, you know, probably, uh, you know, that's pretty like 
<laughs> tasty. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, though. But yeah, I think you know, it's going to have a lot of therapeutic effects on people because, you know, it's, uh, I believe psilocybin is a real teacher plant. So that was really a, the Rainbow Gathering, you know, it's going to be in Colorado this year, the 50th anniversary. And uh, so it's the first one was in 1972. So it was in Colorado as well. There should be a lot of people coming home. Sounds like an interesting festival. 50 years it's been running. Is there a well, it's 50, location? Well, every year it's a different national forest and it's from the 1st through the 7th of July. With the 4th of July being the real high holy day when everybody holds hands and, and, um, and you know, have from morning till noon, uh, I mean, sun up till noon, uh, silence. The silence of all these people not speaking. Some of them can't stand not to, you know, but it's pretty much overwhelming once you come there and the silence is so so loud, it's deafening, you know, it's just so it's crazy. Everybody's so it's like a bunch of batteries hooked up together, you know. And uh, I, I mean I've been there uh, in different states of consciousness, you know, both through meditation and and straight and the uh, and this one time I was just straight as, you know, and we were holding hands and this kid next to me, his young brother, he he, uh, he let go because he was really like, you know, like a fusible link in a, uh, you know, like in a car, uh, electrical out thing where that fuse is open because it's got this town, too much juice is hooded. Well, that's pretty much what uh, this kid was doing. All of a sudden he breaks, he, he lets go of my hand and I swear out of my hand, it looks like a, Dr. Strange, uh, yellow and blue and gold and red lights just shooting out my hand. And the girl standing next to him, he, she saw that and she looked at me and we couldn't believe it happened. So she, she grabbed it because it was, uh, you know, important that that happened. But it was just like, to, it was really, it was, I'm glad I can tell it to you the story. I was saying I was straight at the time. But it was really a happening thing. So. I know that just sounds like old hippie lore, but, uh, you know, hippie stands for happy, intelligent person pursuing infinite enlightenment. So hippies are, 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 I don't know. I used to be practicing inner environment. So how does this channel, and so how does this channel make money? Does it make good money? I mean, do you have, do you have contributors or, or subscribers or how do you do that? Not to ask you your business, I'm just, you know, I'm just. Uh, I don't necessarily. Oh, uh -huh. that's 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 fine. That's fine. No, I've tried to go out of my way to uh, do this uh, pro bono. To be honest with you, uh, uh -huh. I have taken on as a relate a uh, little bit of sponsorship that helped out with uh, some computers and cameras at one point. But uh, I try to stay away from the whole making the money off it, to, to be honest right. with you. I like to do it because I love it. And I feel like if I start taking the money, then it becomes a job or a commitment. And 
you know how that goes you know once things are a job or a commitment it's kind of takes the fun out of it you know what i mean I'm with you, so I'm as with long you. as i can possibly do it i'm gonna keep doing it because i love it <laughs> gotcha yeah that's important you do what you love and love what you do and that's really i think important of a person's life so but then uh, <clears throat> you know everything's free at the rainbow gathering i mean free food free you know, camping, free love, not sex, but free love. And uh, it's uh, just, you know, all the way that, you know, like like uh, health food and, you know, uh, herbalism and how that, that made a big shoot in the last 30 or 40 years. It's because of the gathering in the rainbow people that took it throughout, you know, it was before the computer, they were like the viral, and sometimes they were a viral <laughs> influence and in their own society that they took it back to, you know, it's like, uh, and so I think a lot of the, a lot of the more modern thought processes and, and way things are, are due to the hippies, you know, like, uh, there's still war, but that's unfortunate. No war, right? So did uh, the, the first initial, uh, time with cannabis there open up the door for the other stuff or did that kind of happen before how did that all that transpire uh, that was the first time i ever got high i was right there but it wasn't like the next time i got high it wasn't you know they say you don't get high the first time you, you really get high it's the smoke you know and i kind of believe that that was the first time i ever smoked and I, this guy was right out of vietnam he was like uh, you know, the photographer, he was this, you know, the, the station chief in Saigon. So that was like, you know, the, the hyper, hyper dude in the photography world, you know. I mean, and so, you know, the war was over. So basically, he had to do something. <laughs> and he hooked up with one of the, one of, one of my friend's mom came and picked us up and he hooked up with her, like, you know, it was the 70s. So people were like, <clears throat> more friendly <laughs> yeah and so she he didn't come to work the next day because they, they hung out together and he missed his call so that's how i got the job but uh, it really didn't affect me as much as the next time yeah. Yeah. Our, our so how do you go from there i'm sorry I didn't cut you. Oh, please go ahead please i was just gonna you know I'm just still kind of curious how you go from uh, a, a golf green uh, cannabis, you know, first time golf, cannabis time there on the golf green taking photos to uh, a ayahuasca tent and you're meeting <laughs> Steve Hagar. I mean, that's it's quite the jump. That's quite the jump from a serious runner to, you know, yeah. How do you get down that path? I guess. Uh, is it? I guess. I heard you mention the the phrase "teacher plan." You know what I mean. So at some point, uh, did uh, herbal remedies or you know that type of uh, approach kind of seep in as well, all at once? Maybe. 
Right. Well, I got a teepee, so that was really the start of the path, you know, and then the Rainbow Gathering taught me a lot about herbs, and I married a nurse, and, you know, and that pretty much, uh, um, you know, and then we'd go to the gathering, and Rainbow Medicine is like, a, you know, it's a different form of medicine in some ways, you know, but anyway, um, but so getting back to that, you know, it's once again, it's a happening event and it attracts and, you know, Steve Hager wanted to go and see what was happening. You know, this was maybe his second gathering. He took a big bus one time to, to the freedom fighters, a school bus full of, you know, dancing girls and, and, you know, speakers. And they went from up and down the East coast, kind of like many pranksters did. And then the Merry Pranksters, they're, they're the ones that really brought to, there are two philosophies of basically LSD in that philosophy. That there was the East Coast, which was like the Middlebrook Estate. And, you know, they had people pushing around purple eggs with their nose, thinking they were high. And then they'd give them something like in their milk in the morning and make them really high. To uh, the West Coast philosophy of, of uh Mary Pranksters, where they thought that, you know, LSD was a party drug that was, you know, opening your mind up. And uh, and they hooked up with this guy named Owsley. And Owsley, uh, Dancing Bear and the Grateful Dead sign, that's of course him. He, uh, he, he bought 500 uh, grams of LSD from Switzerland and brought it over here to the United States and kicked off the whole acid revolution with that. Kid Charlemagne by by the uh, Steely Dan. That's a song about exclusively about him and how he uh, cooked all of it, you know how he cooked all the LSD. So, uh, but but you know that's a, back up. That's, that's a little strong for some people, you know. Um, and it's been years, but uh, I hear that this. Uh, <laughs> it's it's making a resurgence with the uh, with some people. I broke my ribs the other day, and uh, I really messed them up bad. And I went to the hospital, and uh, uh, you know I got long hair and long beard, so I was I was in a lot of pain, and they kept me that way. So, but then they gave me some ketamine, and that was a <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of nice. But of course, they left me there, and it's like oh. It's not very nice. They left me there by myself. Academy, have you ever done that? That's a, that's a tough drug, too. They give it to battlefield people. Because you follow orders, it doesn't you know, make your respiratory rate drop. It's non addictive. But you trip balls. They didn't give me enough to get K hold. Just enough to keep me right at that edge. Man, bro, ribs are tough, man. That's a tough injury right there, man. Can't get comfortable. You can't get a deep breath. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, um, I'm a, uh, let me out here. I think I digress back into psychedelics once again. And so, 
But I think, you know, cannabis is really a, a very a psychoactive, psych psychedelic drug just because people use it every day and they get, they get used to it. Try and go out and, and do some really heavy duties, not do it for like 30 days. I mean, I know we all can't do it for 30 days, but just be, take a fast for 30 days and then go and hit the tough, the hardest shit that you can, you know, like, well, whatever, you know, like some dabs on top of some other dabs on top of some other dabs. If you're not throwing up and got the bends, then tell me it's not a powerful drug because people, when, you know, they habituate and tolerate really fast with that stuff. So it's always good to rotate those cannabinoids around. Everybody you know, needs to do that. So, yeah, it's um back in the early days of, like when I say the early days, the hemp industry was coming up at the same time the cannabis cup was coming up. And uh, they were having, a, you know, hemp conferences in the Biofosch in, in Frankfurt, Germany. It was, you know, it was a whole complete place. That, I mean, um, well, I don't know, what would you call it? I guess they uh, Help me out here. A not a concert hall, but a uh, you know where they have a sh where they show these shows in there. Like, uh, um, like a, a convention center. That's what I'm trying to say. Like a giant convention center. Everything was in there. Was hemp. Everything. I had never seen so much hemp products, and this was like in in, in the nineties, you know, the late nineties. I think saw that. And, Went there to test uh, 53 different types of essential oil of hemp flower, and these the Swiss scientists uh, over there that you can put a project that you want to work on, and the state will fund it. They'll give you the lab space. They'll give you the whatever you need, what resources, so that you can further your education. So these guys went out and planted 55 different hectare acres. That's 2.2 acres of um, of hemp. 52 different types. So I got to smell those. I went to their lab in Switzerland. That was a really interesting experience to see how the one side of the road, you have this idyllic Swiss Alp looking house right next to it. It's kind of like an industrial like, factory. It's, it's really quite a beautiful, interesting place. And uh, have you ever been, have you been abroad there? No. Okay. I have not. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, so it's uh, and that's the way that it uh, began. You know, Jack Rare, he was still alive, of course. He's you know wrote the book. You know, all Reverend Henry. He used to rent places down here in, in De Denver and uh, synagogue, so he could like get a uh, you know maybe a hundred people in there, so that they would listen to his story about the. Emperor wears no clothes, you know. You've seen that book. It's a great book. Right? That's what you talk the whole hemp industry for sure. Yeah. So. He'd been to two, two or three gatherings. Colorado, it was his last one because it was too high for him. He had to be evacuated, but uh, that was a long time ago. You know, that, the gathering, you know, attracts people. I mean, you're pushing it now. I'm just telling you, you know, 35 years doing emergency radio communications and stuff, the Rainbow Gathering. 
I've you know seen a lot, and I give thanks, you know. So. All right. Well, you know, how does a you know how does a guy live in Amsterdam? You rely on the Americans, those Americans can smell each other. Totally. <laughs> what I mean by you can see one across the room, you know that they're uh, an American allowed kind of guy. So, uh, sorry, I don't know where I'm going. I got stones. Take me back on track. No questions. No questions yet. No. Let's go on. Well, well I, I like the side rant. So, how do you, you know, how is life in Amsterdam? I mean, well, it's, uh, it's um it's a, it's a nice place you know i mean the dutch are, are friendly people they're, they're tolerant you know but they only let you get in so close because you have to go home someday you know it's just the way it is you, you know even if you get citizenship you know learn the dutch language you know write to the queen and ask her if you can be a subject then then she says yes or no so that's, but that takes a lot of money. So I said, you can either go illegal or, or go legal, which takes all this money. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was just, a, you know, and so I stayed there for quite a few years and left the country without seeing the, seeing the tax, the tax man, deathly afraid of the tax people, you know, they're, they're very, but you know, I was there at the end of, of the at uh, the end of the cannabis cup. You know, when it was all winding down, everything had been like sifted out. The markets were established. You know, Ariana, the strain hunters, and and you know, Barney's. Uh, they get the, what was called the cup fever, which they they had to win, and they would just go and buy tickets and give them to Dutch people so that they would vote. You know, that I thought was kind of kind of well. That's that's the tea on something there, but it was interesting. I know a guy that that's what he did as a Dutch guy. He went and found people and he'd give them a ticket and they could go and vote. <laughs> but I guess that's fair, isn't it? I mean, if you buy your ticket and you know, that's uh, I'm sure that there were other things that happened, but those guys will send, spend a million euros to win a cannabis cup and. Uh, I know it's kind of old now, but uh, uh, you know that's uh, it'll bring you it'll bring you more money than it'll take to win one. You know, each cup's worth about two million dollars in revenue and seed trade and just ready to go kind of stuff. Because no matter what they have, they'll sell it as that strain. Because I've seen some coffee shops that uh, you know you're only there for a week and you come in and smoke the same stuff every day, but then you come back and next year. Oh, is that the same stuff? Yeah, it's not the same stuff. It's just, it's, you know. But the weed here, in a, it's legal in Michigan, right? Medical, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and recreational. Uh -huh. Which is kind of killing the medical market already. <laughs> Seriously, it does. Like here, they, it's only like two, uh, two or three plate, two or three plants, you know, strains. But the, but weed is better, though. I, I mean, I don't know about where you are, but the weed is definitely better just because they don't do as much um, 
like 80% has to be, excuse me, grown under your control and you can buy 20%. And then recreational is just reverse. You can buy 80%. But uh, I'm not sure. But I've been in, I've been in certain dispensaries here and the guy had three different jars with three different names on it. He comes out with a big old bag of weed and he separates it into all three jars <laughs> out of the same bag. Puts the lids on, puts them on himself. It's just like, really? You just did that in front of a customer? Well, I'm not a customer anymore. But... So I'm sure there's a little shadiness that goes on. I mean, how could there not be? It's good to employ so many people, though. Who would have thought? Legalization is good and bad. And all, all people like out in California thought, well, when it goes legal, we'll be able to at least move on board and get a little bit of help or a little bit of money, you know, instead. But they got, you know, big money moved in to cope care of everything. Correct me if I'm wrong. So I feel like I've, I, I'm just saying stuff that people have already heard before, so. Um, it's uh, really quite. Uh, oh, I shouldn't get high. So there is, a, I, I've, I've seen similar stuff in the cannabis industry. It's funny because I don't think at some points, hopefully they're becoming a little bit more wiser, you know, because you don't really know who's kind of like standing <laughs> on the edge of the crowd, you know what I mean? Watching things go on. And I've seen that kind of similar thing as you're talking about right there in seed sales, to be honest with you, nugs on the table and, you know, seed packs across the, the, the table there. Somebody inquire about, you know, Oh, what's this one? And that same, very same bud get picked up. Oh, here's a sample right here. Sniff the jar. Oh, that's nice. Look at all oh, beautiful bud. It's different customer. You know, they slide over the other end of the table, different pack of seeds. Oh, here's that very same sample. You know what I mean? That that pack there. And I'm like, oh, that's some shady shit right there. Next, right. next booth. <laughs> well, you know, people have a bit, you know, here's the thing though. How many seed companies started out when, like, I don't know, I don't have the, the metrics on it, but uh, like when it first came legal here in Colorado, how many seed strain seed companies are, are out there? How many seed strains are still like the same anymore? It's like in Amsterdam, at least when you knew what you were getting, like White Widow and White Shark, it was a power plant in the strain somewhere, you know, and uh and anything with an amnesia in it, amnesia haze or lavender cross up, you could tell what they really were. But sometimes now it's like all these different names crashed up. Uncle Jack's best cousin, you know, I don't know how they name them, you know, but uh, there's just a lot of uh, crosses here that don't really last, you know, but it's the dynamic, it's totally dynamic. You gotta have like, that's why Aryan went looking for, for land race strains because the more of these strains get all like crossed up and crossed out, they get hermaphroditic and, you know. But I think the real problem though is, is the guys cut trimming the, trimming the weed with the machines, at least here in Colorado. They have that 
cylinder with slats in it. I don't know what the name of it is, but but they put the weed in it and it trims it because it turns like this and it's at a little angle and they come out there and it shakes all the THC and all the all the stuff that they can make concentrates out of already on onto the thing. So they're like making two products from one from one source, you know. And so a lot of that weed gets like shaken off and then dried and then sold as wreck or the medical they don't shake it off. That's the difference, I think, here. But, you know, I, I, I've just seen a lot of the weed. They've got, you know, a lot of, they've got a bunch of different grows that supply a lot of weed. So it's up why I mean, nobody really hardly. So grows. I'm sure you've been in a lot of cool places, a lot of amazing uh, opportunities. Uh, so, what are some of the memorable moments you've been on? Uh, well, there's the cannabis castle shoots. Well, the shoots, you know, they were kind of frustrating because you can you get all this beautiful weed in front of you and you can't smoke it because you can't get high. Because you get high, you learn to upset the order. It's like almost a little hell, you know, because then by the time you put it in the display case, and it doesn't ever come back. So, but that's okay. There was plenty of plenty. But uh, one time they, um, in the early days, like around the eighth cup, they had the um, Cannabis Castle Tour. And that was made by Cincy Seed, old Ben Dronkers and Alan Dronkers out there. And it was in Ramagan, which was a famous World War II battle place. And like, they had this castle and they brought out tour buses. You were smoking on the bus, everything. You know, it was just, you know, it was the Wild West out there, you know, people getting high on the bus i mean the tour bus that's kind of crazy i know it doesn't sound like much now but back in those days in a foreign country it was and uh so they took us out there to to the sensi seed place and that when we got there uh, walking around the top of this like 16th century castle kind of like a blockhouse at the top was a guy dressed in a trifold hat with a, a mask over his eyes you know like a cloth so you could just see his eyes and he was walking around kind of like being a guard or something you know now he's dressed in period clothing from the 1600s so we go inside there we're met at the door by other uh while they were like serfs and, and you know uh at that time period because everything was like when hemp was a heyday there in holland and uh, everything was all the clothes were made out of hemp for the people walking around with with uh, trays of Jack Herrera, because that's what won it that year. And first year that Jack Herrera seeds train won, Jack was with us. It was uh, really quite a um, an event. They had a guy there playing uh, those recorders. Do you ever play recorders as a child? You know, he was playing two of them, one in each nose. It was amazing. And, yeah, it was just at least it was just amazing how he was doing that. So, but, and then they had different re rooms where they were breeding seeds and stuff like that. And it was just, uh, they had a wheelbarrow full of seeds with a, with a goddess sitting in it. And, you know, it was really quite uh, a good scene. But then after that, it got too busy and they stopped doing the Cannabis Castle tours because they had so much seed sales and, you know, that's really what happens is they got big on the seed sales. That's the way a lot of people made their money initially.
Because, you know, you buy it from a grower for uh, a euro a seed, you sell it for 10 cents, uh, for 10 euros or five euros a seed, and you make money that way. That's the way Soma made it. That's the way, you know, Soma was a good guy to me. He helped me out with that. You know, Soma seed strains like New York City diesel, um, lavender. You ever hear those seeds? Okay. Yeah. What are you smoking there, man? You look like you're high. What What are you smoking? I'm just smoking a little bit of what was left on the tray. There could be a few different things. Uh, I'm still smoking on quite a bit of samples from uh, the last event that I went to there at Mendo in Michigan. I was gifted quite a few samples from some great folks, some great weed nerds, and then uh, Mendo Dope. Uh, I was hanging out with them, and as you travel, I'm sure, uh, in the cannabis industry, you see a lot of great cannabis, you're gifted a lot of great cannabis, but not always can you travel with that great cannabis. So they kind of gifted me a little bit of cannabis before they left on Sunday. So I had a nice little nice little gift there from the festival so i got some headband uh i'm not sure and that's one thing i'm always upset about is when you're gifted people gift you stuff but they don't necessarily gift you know write their name on it i know who this was banana daddy thunder dan and uh Um, lima rio this is uh thunder dan too lima rio yeah yeah where's it how can you tell what strain it is? It sounds like delicious, though. Some of these, is it an indica or sativa? Well, I believe the, the Lamarillo is an indica. Oh, right. nice. Yeah. Everything's a hybrid these days, so you know what I mean? There's no one or the other. It's pretty much all hybrid. Yeah. Subject sure. to you, I guess. <laughs> That, yeah, I like that's why I was saying that that's why the Aryan went with the seed strain uh, hunters to go look for, for the land race seed strains so that they can start back breeding them and start all over because you can only mix so many. There's like a dozen. I quote uh, Robert Colonel Clark, Colonel Clark, and there's only like 12 of them, and those have been crossed up so many times, you know. So land race seed strains that they know of. You know, as much as I'd like to really see a lot of that, and I'm an advocate for, you know, preserving genetics, slowing down things and preserving genetics. Uh, We're in an industry where you've kind of already kind of hit into it, where money can be a shitty implement. You know what I mean? So even I've said it myself as a cultivator, it's hard to grow a good sativa, which most land races are, a lot of land races are good quality, long flowering time sativa. It takes a real connoisseur to want to put that time into something that, with a flowering time like that. Now, once you kind of put money, the thought of money into it, you know what I mean? It's harder to justify you know, growing something that long other than a great effect when you can flip a room two to three times and get, you know what I mean? 
three All times right. of cannabis out of that hybrid versus that long-term flower sativa. But although I believe that's where the fun cannabis lies, you know what I mean? That's where the laughy stuff, that's where the real racy stuff, that's, you know, a lot of good cannabis is in that long, long flowering time cannabis, but nobody wants to fuck with it. Why? Money. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, that's, that's, so, uh, that's it. You know, uh, that's why uh, uh, those, those long uh, flowering things like Acapulco Gold, Panama Red, those uh, equatorial plants, that's why they fell from favor of with the outdoor smugglers, you know, because uh, it took so long, 15 weeks to flower, you know, and I mean, you can't have a crop out there in the Mexican sun in 15 weeks. You, you got, so that's why Mexican green bud became uh, Mexican red hair. I mean, sorry, became the, the, the smuggler's choice back then or the grower's choice because they could grow like, you know, two crops and get it in. But, uh, that was the trouble with them there in Holland is like they'd grow, try to get three crops, you know, and they'd take the clones and flower them for two weeks instead of four weeks, the two weeks and then um, do the rest of it, 14 weeks or 12 weeks, whatever. So that was, uh, I think, you know, the mites, the spider mites were a problem in that country too. They were like almost systemic in the, in the plant itself. They were like in the plant when you got them. And genetically, they were like already in the plant. Which I know that sounds silly and impossible. They were just in it. I don't know the, you know, spider mites are such problematic uh, little insects, I guess, for lack of a better word. But uh, do they have that? Do they have that russet mite out where you are? Yes, the, the russet mite is everywhere everywhere <laughs> it's a you know at some point I, I question that as well you know you know how that stuff gets spread well, we're leading back to you know money type of thing you know your local people that are and some of these bigger companies let's say the, the Hawthorne group stuff like that you know are your soil companies you know who's to say a lot of this shit that we fight off doesn't get spread by <laughs> some oh, of these larger sure. groups that are helping us out you know what i mean it's a it's a beautiful circle for them <laughs> right exactly yeah well yeah the uh, you get the russet mites you got to burn your house man i tell you it's like they're just so insidious you can't get them out of it's tragic but no, my roommate grew some really nice stuff here. And he used the LED lights. And I'm not a really big fan of LED lights, but he uh, lights, but he did a pretty good job on it. So I don't know if you can see it. Nice. Yeah. What, what is it? Do you know what called uh, Some kind of uh, cream packing gorilla or something like that. So you got it from a clone. It's a nice thing. It's you know your weed gets you higher when when you grow it yourself because it knows what you know. It picks up the vibe what you want. That's why everybody thinks they grow the best weed and they grow their own because it may not be the best weed, but it's the best for them because they put all that love into it. You ever grown weed and not love your plant? I mean, <laughs> seriously. 
No, your garden definitely always, always reflects your life. You know what I mean? The garden for me is the happy place and the filter, but unfortunately, man, that filter is the filter. It's a bioremediator. It pulls the bullshit out of the ground and you. And if you're going through a shitty point in your life, even though the garden is your zen place, that garden will reflect it if you're not, you know, in the right kind of state of mind when you're in the garden. For sure. Oh, right. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. That's uh, that's why I always thought that, you know, somebody wanted to do a real healing thing. They could put six or ten plants in the room and and people could just come in there and, and hang out for an hour, you know, build out an hour or whatever, you know. And they could just feel the vibe of the plant in there, you know, just just pick up the vibe that, you know, the, the CO2, I mean, the O2 coming off of them, this, the terpenes, everything, you know. Because all that's such a special plant. I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's where the Hindus believe it came, came from the plant, the sacred plant, Ganja, you know, on the river Ganges. Said uh, Krishna was being a really vengeful god, wreaking havoc upon all the humans, and so they sent him Shiva, and uh, Shiva was you know at the, the cannabis plant. So see, Shiva was a group from the from the Ganges, where everybody goes there for the Kumbh Mela. Everybody tries to a million people try to get in this one spot in the river, and uh, it's really quite uh, phenomenal. I mean, it only comes every ten years or something. But uh, so that's where ganja came from. That's what the, and they believe that some of the milk was just uh, hemp seed or cannabis seed and milk from the plant. And that's what uh, the Rig Veda, the oldest uh, book in the world, which, uh, arguably uh, talks about soma, which is a uh, the, the elixir from cannabis, it heals the sick, you know, strengthens the muscles. There's a whole poem about it. I'm sorry, I don't know it right completely, but, and so that's where the, the, the cannabis electric came from. They milked it before they knew they could really smoke that stuff. Because that early stuff wasn't that good, I think. It was just, you know, <laughs> I don't think it was that good to smoke. It was real hemp, CBD, CBN, you know. No THC, maybe THC, but they would just put in a big teepee kind of tarp like Logan and, and go in there and smoke it like in the early days in Russia and what's now Russia. But uh, that's where they found the first people that were really using it, like in these sensors. You know, that was pretty good, I guess. But can you imagine be smoking yourself like that? Uh, that would be just tough. So, I don't know. I the, the use of cannabis is still kind of question mark. I'd seen some uh, a documentary, a short little documentary, kind of taking it really far back in uh, China. It's three thousand years use over there, which kind of precedes a lot of the stuff I had heard. So, do you really think it was that weak? I mean. I've heard, you know, kind of same thing you're talking about, it, uh, them putting it on hot rocks and almost like vapor, vaping the room, you know what I mean? Right. And it seemed like it would take a good amount of cannabis, a shitty 
cannabis. You know what I mean? You're you're a trooper. That's a that's a true stoner right there. Because I back in back in the day, man, I had smoked. I fucking smoked seeds to try to get high at one point. And it takes a lot of fucking seeds. So I can't imagine going, man. We're all out of the good stuff, man. Get that hemp in there. Keep loading it in. in (laughs) Yeah, that's really what they probably did. But, you know, uh, and plus, you know, they don't have that really good cultivation techniques. It was just broadcast the seed, not just like take and grow every little plant like it's a special little plant. You know, they just broadcast the seeds. We didn't cross pollinate, which everything gets all seedy and smelly. And so, but, you know, maybe it was just so much so much THC and our CBN because you know that's what that stuff degrades to CBG, CBN, CBD and oh yeah that would be just excellent can you imagine I guess you wouldn't get lung cancer <laughs> Sorry. sarcasm can you smell it Sorry. okay so Man, again, you've had with the long history of just looking at cannabis through the lens. I've seen, yeah, I'm uh-huh. sure you've seen uh, a lot of cool shit, both, you know, surprising, amazing flowers. I'm sure you've have quite the, the journey, the quite the journey you've seen through through that lens. Yeah. And by the way, well, right off the, I, before you get started with the journey you've kind of seen from behind the lens. What is your favorite camera? What what's what ones has been your favorite cameras to shoot well, with? Nikon's, um, of course. Uh, I, I belong to the Nikon Professional Service, so they'll send you any kind of gear for free for two weeks. Provide you're a real journalist, you know. But, but Nikon, you know, uh, uh, or, or whether it's Nikon or Canon, you know. But these new, uh, these new, um, what do you call them? You carry them in your back pocket, these phones. There's, they're good cameras too. I mean, it's like, what's the best camera you got? The one that you got in your hand, and you know, uh, just that's just the way it is. I mean, some of the stuff that, you know, this camera could do, my Nikons couldn't do, you know. I wore out two D3s and that was, uh, Last time I spent a lot of money on camera gear, but the lenses are where you spend your money because the bodies get, you know, upgraded. But those lenses and those lens dynamics and the lens math, you can't change, you know. And uh, so, but, you know, back in the day, there was, when you were a photographer like that, you had to take your own film and, you know, make sure that your film was right, the exposure was right, everything. It wasn't no fucking around. It wasn't like looking at, looking at, you know, chimping on the back of a camera right now and seeing it before you still got the shot. It was with film and, you know, that was expensive and you could fuck up and, and lose the whole. Yeah, I saw a photographer there. Uh, it was his last gig, last time when I got the job, but he uh, lost the list for the for all his shoots. He had he shot all the dope, you know, all the photos and everything. He was a meticulous guy and uh, he lost his shoot his sheet that he lost it with all his numbers on it oh he was insane it was so bad i felt so sorry for him andre grossman you know he, he, was, 
he's really the master there. Lawrence Cherniak, you ever read those books, the great books of uh, Ashish? They're a great book. Lawrence Cherniak, he's the guy that wrote those books. He was there in the 70s. He, he traveled all over Europe and India uh, shooting. Uh, get him on the show so we talk to him. You're a good guy. Brian Yawn, he was he lived in New York, so he was mostly the house photographer there in New York. As well as Andre Ghostman. Um, it, it's uh, it must be getting late there. You might have to do this again sometime because I'm a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna. I've talked too much. I usually don't talk as much, and that's the thing. So maybe we can finish this another time. That's all right. It's just been oh, too short. Yeah. That, no, I'm happy. I'm grateful for whatever I get. That's bottom line. You know, the this whole thing is about you know you and your story and. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I always like to make my guests or try to make my guests as comfortable as possible. Cause like you said, I would much rather have you leave on a good note and come back. You know what I mean? Versus, you know, make this a horrible experience for anybody, but, uh, you know, no, this it is is been a it is. I want to thank you for having me. I just, uh, I'm just running out of, well, I don't talk so much sometimes, you know. Sometimes, if it's true, it's not bragging. But after a while, it's like you know, there's a story. There's a few stories, you know, about bands that stole the cannabis cup from backstage. The fun-loving criminals one time stole the, the cannabis cup from backstage, and they were like, uh, I waited 15 years to get that back. But anyway, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, you know, I want so. Maybe some again sometime here soon, uh, and it'll be. I'll have some more stories that maybe formatted a little different, like about when I went to uh, the only, first and only time I ever went to Hooters was I went with the Merry Pranksters. We were on tour with them for the for the Grandfather tour from the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there in, in Ohio to Toronto, and we stopped at the uh, Fish Show and uh, a couple other places to uh, that that was when uh, really they had uh, Royal Mounted Police that were playing Secret Agent Girl there. It was uh, that's another story though. I'll have to uh, <laughs> chance chance going. These are the stories we want to hear. And that's exactly I have to agree. These are the stories we want to hear. You know, there's so much stuff that happens behind the scenes and stuff like that. Perspectives on, you know, you know, your version of what happens. So, you know, we'd love to hear these stories, you know. Uh 100%, 100% we would love to hear your stories. So Anytime you're ready, we're here. Okay, I'm so uh, yeah, I, I'm good for about an hour or so, uh, but uh, I really appreciate you having me here tonight. So anytime, anytime, and uh, please keep a please please keep us in mind. I'm ready for all those stories uh, for sure. It sounds like a lot of fun and crazy times that uh, 
We'd love to yeah, hear well, it all. You know, you, know, you asked some... me if I've traveled, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, I haven't traveled a lot, man. I live vicariously through a lot of these stories. You know what I mean? And uh, I think other people do, too. Oh, I see. Uh, it's true. You know, you, you go out there and, you know, there is no good or bad. Uh, it's just for the experience. You know, that's really... Uh, there are no good experience or bad experience. It's just the experience on which side you stand on that coin. You know, you know it's uh, how you interpret the situation. Uh, I know this kind of sounds kind of optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. <laughs> All right, man. I'll just, uh, how, do you, how do you punch out of this? Do you just, Cut well, out. a couple of things before you go, sir. Oh, uh, okay. If you could just give me worried. a couple, couple of minutes, please. Please, please sir. Go ahead. Go. You got all the time. I'm just, you talk for yeah. a little bit. That'll be much easier. Uh, yeah, basically uh, how things go around here is I would love to do a one-on-one -on -one with you anytime you'd like. But since you've done this, anything counts. Like I said, 10 minutes, hour, whatever. Uh, you have earned your right to come hang out anytime you'd like. So that Zoom link that I had sent you is always good, my friend. Anytime oh, that you see, uh, like there's a weed nerd world in the title. If you're up and want to hang out, smoke, be a part of what we're doing, grab that damn phone. You know what I mean? The world is going to change in a lot of aspects. We would love to hear the stories. Or hear, you know what I mean? So whenever you want to come hang out, Doors open at this point, my friend. All right. Well, so, thank you so uh, much. That'll be great. I, I completely understand it, that first times can be a little awkward sometimes, but I hope that you had a good experience tonight. One other I thing I'd like that. to get from you before you go is a silly little thing I call the sound bite. And basically, my version of it would be, hey, this is Eagle, and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle. Episode 662. I think I got there, right? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so uh, whenever you're ready. I'm this ready is uh, 622 uh, on the uh, 662 radio show episode. Right on. Right on. And again, thank you for your time, man. Uh, I greatly, greatly respect it. It's the most valuable thing we have in this life. And I hear, I hope to hear more about your time in the cannabis world. So with that being said, my friend, would you like to say goodbye to anybody or give any shout outs on your way out? Uh, maybe uh, our favorite girl, Cass Sativa. You know, hopefully she'll win that Maxim. Vote for her at the Maxim Girl of the Year. I think she can win it. But yeah, that's old Cass. You know Cass. She's she's a good girl, right? Oh, yeah. She's, she is she's awesome. A vet, she's a veteran, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, you can vote for her on um, Facebook. So, anyway. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you, my friend. With that right. being said, thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you, my friend, for... Uh, introducing yourself into the community hopefully you guys will come hang out in the uh weed nerd world here in a few minutes uh we'll be getting that going so empty your bladder fill your tray and get ready to come hang out in the weed nerd world for those of you that aren't gonna hang out 
Thank you for your time. Don't forget to do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. Thank you, my friend, one last time for coming to hang out. Hopefully, it's really so soon before we get to talk again soon. All right. I enjoyed it. Thank you.